All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to the Digital Cathedral on this beautiful Sunday morning in Houston, Texas. Hope it's a great day where you're at and you're ready to get right into the word this morning in our study. We're coming through the book of Galatians and we're down to Galatians chapter 3 and we're going to look at verses 10 through 14 this morning. So I want you to follow closely, listen closely. For the next uh, half hour, 45 minutes, I try not to, I, tr I really shoot to go about 45 minutes. So if I go over that a little bit, it's because I get carried away somewhere along the line and throw some extra things in. But uh, let's look at this, let's don't go any further, let's just look at these, these four or five verses from Galatians chapter 3. And let's pull out of this what we can this morning that will help us in our daily walk. You ready? Galatians chapter 3, let me read it for you and then we'll get into it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, for as many as are of the works of the law, they are under the curse. Wow, what an astounding statement. I don't want to be under the curse, do you? So then I have got to come out from the works of the law. <laughs> for it is written, cursed is, is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We could spend a month on that verse. I really believe that. that. That is a lot. And I'll say a little bit more about it in a minute. But the real problem with the law, once you, once you set a lifestyle in that direction, and you're, you're, you're going to say, well, look, I'm going I'm to uh, be holy. I'm going to be righteous because of my actions. I don't think we really put it in that light. But that kind of enters our mind like, I, I need to attain a certain place of discipline, of righteous living, and then I'm, I'm, I'm acceptable to God, more acceptable. So we set up these things that we have to do, the bases to touch to get there. All right, there's two problems with that. One says you'll never fulfill them all, and the second is you're going to add to the list as you go <clears throat> because it doesn't work. So when you see it's not working, then you double down and you add more. And it, and it becomes this never-ending circle that you continue to add to and put more on yourself. You know, you've been there. Some of us have been there and done that. Verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham, let me read verse 13, 14 together. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, you and I have been brought up in the Western church. That's, that's where we're at, right? I, I grew up in a church in America. Most of you that are in the digital cathedral from America, although other people from Australia, Africa, England. I mean, you're part of a congregation and it's good to see you all sitting here this morning. I always welcome you from around the world. People say, well, is that an empty auditorium? No, it's not. My digital cathedral fills it up every week. <laughs> I see all of you. I see your faces. I know you from Facebook, social media. 
It, it, you know, and I see you sitting here. So we're, we got a full house this morning. Got a full house. But we were raised for the most part in the, in the Western church. Uh, and, and it was a, a if-then gospel. You know, we had to do. And then God will do. And what, what we have is not, it's more of a contract than a covenant. And I want to, in a couple of weeks, I'm laying that out in more uh, specific details. But a contract, a contract is this. A contract is made between two parties. And the contract spells out the obligation of each party. You know, if I, if I uh, need a new roof on my house, I make a contract with a roofing contractor. And the contract will say if you tear the old shingles off, tear the old roof on, uh, make all the repairs, put the new roof on, doesn't leak. If you do that, then I will write you a check for the full amount of the contract agreement. Now, if you don't do your part, if you, if you put a faulty roof on, then I'm not, I don't pay you the check that the contract calls for. That's contract. It's you do your part, I do my part. A covenant is different than that. A covenant is when two people enter into a relationship and the strength of the stronger becomes the strength of the weaker. And even if one person does not keep up their end of the covenant, the other party is still committed to it as long as they live. Paul demonstrated that or told Timothy this. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's covenant. His faithfulness has nothing to do with our faithfulness. It's two, two separate issues. If it were a contract, he would say, I will be faithful to you if you are faithful to me. But Paul says it, it's a covenant. So even if we're faithless, we don't hold up our end, if we don't meet the stipulations, then the covenant says that the other covenant partner is fully obligated to carry it through even to their own hurt. Now that's not what we've learned in church. What we've learned in church is the contract. You pray the prayer. Uh, you do what you need to do to be obedient, disciplined, and then God blesses you. You tithe, the windows of heaven are open. You don't tithe, the windows are not open. That's contract. So it, it, it looks on Jesus as having a done deal, having done his part, but his part is totally ineffective. We were taught his part's totally ineffective if we don't do our part. That's not a covenant. That's a contract. And this, this is not the new contract. It's the new covenant. So the reason that I come here on the digital cathedral every week, one of the main reasons I'm not in a brick and mortar building anymore is because I don't want to talk contract. I want to talk covenant. Jesus cry from the cross was it is finished and that it is finished is beyond being effective if we only put the finished touches on it there's nothing we can do to put the finished touches on it is finished but we were taught that it is finished is only effective if we do our part if we somehow by our response finish what he declared as already being a done deal. Somehow we, we were, we were uh, overwhelmed with the idea that 
it is finished is not finished without us finishing it. I, I've uh, really been on Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I've used it several times over the last few weeks because I think it illustrates so many things so well. Luke chapter 19, 10, Jesus said, My purpose in coming was twofold. In that 19th chapter, verse 10, he said, I, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. We've looked at the first part of that verse. We said that's totally him. He's come to seek us. He's come to seek everybody. But the last half needs our help. He's very effective at seeking. He's just not so effective at saving without our help. Without my confession, my prayer, my belief, my uh, faith, my acceptance of him. See, it's, there's nowhere in that verse that there's any stipulation. Because it's a covenant. He said, I've come to make covenant. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Doesn't matter what you do, what you say, or your faith. I have made up my mind what I will do. If he's made up his mind what he will do, then consider it done. So there's no indication of his needing our help to accomplish his mission. None. Zero. Zip. He didn't say, I need, I need your wisdom, I need your input, I need your help, I need your acceptance, I need your prayer, I need your faith to, to accomplish my mission. My mission was set by the Father. I agreed to it. I've come and I've fully accomplished it. It is finished. Do you understand? Now I point that out because this is exactly what Paul was dealing with with the Galatian Christians. They had heard the message of grace. They had no spiritual background. Paul comes in, lays the gospel out. People that don't know anything about the gospel, about Jesus, I'll tell you what, they, they grab this very easily. But in the West, United States of America, Australia, Canada, you know, people have an idea what the gospel. They, they've heard Jesus. They've heard hell. They know more about hell than they know anything. So they heard grace. They embraced it. Then religion followed in behind Paul. It said, I'm glad Paul was here to teach you the gospel. I'm glad he laid out grace. But that's not all there is to this. If you think it's just all grace, you're wrong. The Judaizers said, no, you have to add, you've got to, you, you got to buck up a little bit. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law. You need to do a work. Well, that, that brings up the idea, what is a work? How do you know what a work is? Let me define a work for you in, in a spiritual context. A work is anything that you must do. Anything that you must do to have what the Father through the Son has direct deposited into your life through the finished work of the cross. If you think that you must do something to receive or have what he said is already yours, then it becomes a work. Now, I'll let you think about that. See, that's what stopped the church cold in its tracks. Because it's caused us to no longer be Christocentric. That's what we've lost. We don't have a Christocentric gospel. We've opened the door to all kinds of man-made stipulations in order that we be approved by God. And that's what the Judaizers came in behind Paul and said, it's good that you heard the gospel. It's good you accepted Jesus. But to really be approved by God, what you need to do now is to be circumcised. There, there is, there's some of the law. There's some of these things that you have to keep. 
So the, the law, as I told you last week, is not just the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws that Moses gave to help the people keep the Ten. Isn't that amazing? Moses came up with 613 laws to enable them to keep the Ten. And that's what we've done today. It's every Baptist church, every Pentecostal church, every charismatic church, Nazarene church, Church of Christ. It's the add-ons that have been strapped onto people as requirements to either be saved or to stay saved or to be approved by God. We've, we, man, we, we even write books. I, the church I came out of had what we called a church manual. And in that manual was our 613 laws of Moses, so to speak. Everything that we needed to do, everything we needed to be in order to make God happy with us, to, to retain a good standing with God, it was all laid out for us. So that, and, and that becomes the problem. It's a nasty business. And, and it's the cause, it's why the church is so impotent today. It keeps us running in circles, trying to, trying to accomplish, trying to do. So let's pick up this study in Galatians chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 10. And in this third chapter, Paul pulls absolutely no punches. And, he, and you know, our, our battle is not with people. The battle is with religion and the blindness it creates through controlling us. Every religion tries to control. Religion creates mindless parents. I can tell you what my church believes. I can tell you what my pastor says. I can tell you what our theology is. I can tell you our position. See, religion isn't willing to let you hear for yourself. Religion, you hear very little about the spirit of truth that has been given to you individually to lead you into all truth. The church will, will tell you in not so many words, we've heard from the spirit of truth. Now we will tell you what truth is and you need to follow the truth that we have received. That's not the way it works. The way it works is you have the spirit of truth residing on the inside of you. You don't have need that any man teach you, John said. Religion doesn't want to come down that road. Religion doesn't want to teach you how to fish. It wants to give you the fish to keep you dependent on them. Religion does not want to lose control of you. So Paul, Paul's going to dig a little deeper in, into what the law in all of its forms produces. And he wants them to put what the, what the mixture had strapped on them, what mixture had come to them after he left. Get the visualization. Paul comes in, teaches the gospel, teaches grace. They fall head over heels in love with Jesus. The Judaizers come in. They strap laws. They strap regulations on people. Paul hears about it. Paul writes this letter to the Galatians and says, you need to strip off all of that stuff, put it in your rear view mirror, and never look back because there's nothing worth what they have given you that is worth trying to keep. All right, let's read verses 10 through 14. And then we'll walk through this. Let me read it for you again. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law, they are under the curse. And we're going to look at what that curse is. For it is written, cursed is everyone that does not continue in all which it says it is written in the book to do them. 
Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham, verse 14, might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. All right, let's come back to verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, they're under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What is he saying here? He's saying there's no life in the law. The law is dead. It, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's this black hole that pulls you in. And the further you get in, the deeper it pulls you. The harder you try to live up to what the law demands, the more impossible it becomes. And once it starts, Paul said, once you start down that road, it is never ending and you have got to do all of it. You can't be just selective. All those, all those things you put in your head, all those things you heard all of your life, once you go down that road, that's why people have given up. I've got, I've got Facebook friends, I've got people I know that have just thrown up their hands and said, who needs this? I can't do it. Forget it. I'm going to fail anyway. And it all comes back to what he's teaching here. The law will make one of two things happen to you. Number one, you'll quit and walk away upset. And when you walk away upset, you'll feel discouraged, you'll feel guilty, you'll feel condemned, you'll feel worthless, you'll feel like a failure, you'll, you'll wonder why can everybody else do this and I can't, or number two, you'll settle for being a big hypocrite. <laughs> you'll, you'll put on a facade, a veneer. Outwardly you look good, but you know inwardly you just ain't cutting it. You know, I've done both. I've, I've been one and two before. Been a lot of times that I've looked at my life, you know, and I outwardly look pretty, pretty good. Inwardly, I go, man, I'm falling short. I'm not making it. I'm not living up to where I, I, I want to be. I'm not, I'm not meeting that standard. And there have been times I've just, there was a period in my life I just threw up my hand and said, who needs this? I walked away and I was discouraged. I felt condemned and worthless. Like, I, there's no possible way I could ever do this. Now, I don't know if Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians were placed in, in the King James Bible the way they were, but the goal of Galatians is freedom. And the theology that keeps you free is set out very heavily in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It gets stronger and stronger. You know, I... I'll say this again. To some of you, Galatians might be a review. It's kind of Grace 101, but that's all right. You know why? Because I will assure you that as you continue to grow, as your frequency is higher, as your vibration increases, each, each, each new frequency will reveal bonds and laws that the lower frequency didn't recognize. Every time you elevate... Every time you move to another dimension, another room within the house, right? Another place. You, you, you should get more free because you see those little things that have tried to hold on to you that you didn't recognize before. 
the, those undiscovered ites in the promised land that, that you have to drive out of the new land that you're now possessing. That's, that's, the, major, that's the major warfare. When you, know, you, you come up, you see revelation, you move higher. That's how, that's how the Holy Spirit brings you to a higher frequency. He brings revelation, gives uh, understanding of authentic identity, uh, shows you more and more depth to what you fully have had direct deposited in your life. And when that happens, when you uh, uh, think on the fruit of the Spirit, when you, as Paul said, think on things that are good, pure, perfect, lovely, good report, as those fill your mind, your, your frequency elevates, and as you come to another place, all of a sudden you see those things that have tried to hold you back from thinking on things that are good, pure, perfect, lovely, and of a good report, that you're not able, you're not worthy to be at that place. You see those things now, and you have to cut them off. Verse 10, he says, the law produces the curse of the law when they're not fully kept. And you can't keep them. <laughs> Make up your mind. The curse of the law is threefold. The curse from the Old Testament law that comes when you cannot keep it is basically threefold. It's poverty, sickness, and death. Paul's telling them, if you listen to the Judaizers, then the flow of the Zoe, of the God kind of life that comes through grace, all of a sudden, the flow stops. So I'm saying to you who are members of the digital cathedral, I'm saying to you, if you listen to the evangelical church that is very law and rule driven, that you will not any more than the Judaizers that came into the church at Galatia experience the life of God. If you allow the, allow the rules, the laws, and regulations of the evangelical church to infiltrate your life, that flow of life is going to be stymied. Listen carefully. If you don't continue to grow in grace, if you don't let the grace of God go deeper and deeper, which some of you that have been around grace a while, you, that, this is what you need to pull out of Galatians. That, that grace needs to go deeper and deeper and deeper into your life. If you don't let it do that, there will be, I don't care who you are, I, including myself, if you don't let that happen, you have a tendency to slip back, check it out, back into some form of self-imposed law. That's what backsliding is. It's not falling into sin. Backsliding is not falling into sin. It's falling out of grace back under the law. It's exactly what Paul told him in Galatians 5.4. I, I think I read that last week, but let me read it again. Here, if you don't continually grow, Paul said it would take the ages to come for us to, to get down to the depth of the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. So we're, we're, we haven't even scratched the surface. If you don't keep growing, then what will happen is you stagnate, you will move then just by nature to performance. So when you see that performance starting to come in, you need to cut it off. In Galatians 5.4, he says, you become estranged from Christ. Where? In your minds. You become separated in your minds because you've attempted to be justified by law. And when that happens, he says, the last part of the verse, you have fallen from grace. That's the performance trap that grace has delivered you from. Don't Go back to it. 
All right, let's read verse 11 out of, out of uh, Galatians chapter 3. Verse 11. For that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident because the just will live by faith. <clears throat> what, is, what is justified? What is justification? Justification is setting you in a position just as if you had never sinned. And he said that does not come by the law. It comes by the hearing of faith. Whose faith? Not your faith. It comes by your trust in his faith. That's what justifies you. It, be, be careful or you will make faith a major work. And that's one of, one of the pitfalls you're going to face if you don't keep growing in grace. You'll try to now exercise faith by your actions, by you know, we used to say that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So we, we thought that our faith would get stronger the more Bible we read or the more Bible we confessed or, you know, all the activities we did. That would build our faith. No, that, that's not how faith comes. Faith comes when you hear what God has said to you. That's when faith comes. So be careful that you... Don't walk out of grace. That faith comes to you by grace, not because of how much Bible you confess, how much you memorize, how much you meditate. It's a faith in what God said he would do through Christ apart from our efforts. That's faith. When that becomes clear, that it's not your pumped up, if I can say it that way, you're pumped up trying to develop faith, but it's a trust in what he has done. That's what faith is. Faith is a trust in what he's already done. Faith is not this thing you try to build up within yourself till you become a faith giant. See? And when that happens, when you, when you understand it's a trust in what he has done, you will believe. You'll respond. That's what believing is. You'll respond to it. And you'll repent. You'll change your mind. You'll change your mind out of the futility of what you have tried to develop yourself by pumping up your faith and you will respond. You will repent. Change your mind out of your faith into a trust in what he has done. You, you, you see, it's, it's not about you accepting him. It's about him accepting you and depositing into you before time ever began. We've kept trying to recover from what we thought Adam messed up. Adam didn't mess, Adam didn't mess up. Jesus is not playing big. Adam did not mess up. Let me rephrase that. Adam did not mess up God's plan. Jesus is not the alternative plan. The Father's plan was always to come and live with us. The Father's plan was always that we be one with him. The Father's plan was always to come and show his love and acceptance of us. All right, listen to me carefully. Listen, 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 listen. All the acceptance that was ever needed to take place was done by the Father of accepting us. He looks at us and he says, you know what, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. You can't save yourself, can't sanctify yourself, can't justify yourself, can't make yourself righteous, can't make yourself blameless. So I'm going to do it for you, as you. So what have we done? For 2,000 years, we've been trying to do what he has fully done. The gospel, the good news is you don't have to do what he's done. 
All right, verse 13, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So if, if the curse of the law, of disobeying the law, is threefold, if it's sickness, death, and poverty, that's, that's the curse, that's the penalty of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, I won't take time to turn over there. But, he, but Deuteronomy tells us, all right, if you don't obey everything that I tell you, keep all the statutes, then all these curses will come on you. And he takes that about 15, 18 verses and talks about the curses. They all fit three major categories, sickness, death, and poverty. So what Jesus came, it says in verse 13, that he redeemed us from the curse. What, what does redeem mean? It means to rescue from loss. Jesus came and rescued us from the loss that would come because of sickness, death, and poverty. He eliminated it. He has, let's read it in context. Christ has rescued us from the loss of the curse of the law. He became the curse for us. He became sickness, death, and poverty as us. We became sickness, death, and poverty as him. Let me, let me read three verses just uh, to make this legal for you so you don't think I'm making this stuff up. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled by the, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying, he himself bore our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He took what belonged to us through the curse of the law, infirmities and sicknesses. He absorbed it. He took it. All right, you got that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. Come on, stay with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. So what did he do? In addition to our infirmities and sicknesses, he took our death. If one died for all, then all died. Now, if you died because of Christ, then what are you doing dying today? If we're going to be as Jesus is in this present world, Jesus said, no man takes my life. I lay it down, I pick it up. I can lay it down, I can pick it up again. Paul evidently got that. I think, I don't know how many times Paul was killed. Probably six or seven. He was stoned. Do you understand about stoning? The last stone that is, that is administered when you stone somebody was to take a giant stone over and crush their head. And what happened when Paul got stoned? He got, he got up and walked into town. He had to be dead and come back to life. There's no way around it. He took our death. You, you understand that? 
Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just come over. I've got a whole lot to say in months coming on some of this stuff. But I, we're, we're working our way through these books. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says, For you know that through the grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. All right, so I told you that the curse of the law is threefold. Poverty, sickness, and death. We read in, in Matthew 8, 17 that he took our infirmities, our sicknesses. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he took our death. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that he took our poverty. He became, he, he was rich, but he came poor so that you could have his riches as your riches. So it's very obvious from those verses, and man, we could, we could lay this thing out for six weeks. But it's just very obvious from those three verses that he absorbed all of us into himself and all of the baggage, all of the curse that came because we could not keep the law. He came and kept it as us. And once he absorbed it into himself, he dissolved it through his death on the cross. He redeemed us. He rescued us from the loss that comes from sickness and infirmities from death and from poverty. So, why, why does all the death, poverty, and stick, sickness still capture us? I've been trying to get you to see, I've been telling you, that if you would see yourself free from those things, that you could possess it. You can possess what you see. And you're not using, you're not sitting down and meditating, using your imagination to see yourself free from sickness. I don't take flu shots because I see myself free from the flu. I'm not judging anybody that takes flu shots. That's up to you. I don't think I have to take a flu shot. That's just me. We haven't seen ourselves. It's only been the last couple of years that I have seen, I've got the visualization that poverty is not part of my life. I hold that picture. I speak, I don't speak power. I don't, I, I don't carry the image around anymore that I wonder if I'm going to have enough money to make the rent and the car payment. That bothered me for years. I always had this fear. Maybe it was the environment I was raised in. I don't know. I had to, I had to defeat that. I, I have enough money today. I'm not worried about where I'm going to eat lunch or if I have enough money to buy, grow, whatever. I don't, that, that's not a consideration anymore. Was it a consideration? Yeah, it was a consideration a long time. Uh, there was a time in my life when I had, you know, small ones at home. You used to be able, this is probably beyond, before any, you remember it, we used to get uh, Coca-Cola in bottles and you could take the bottles back and get 10 cents deposit back. I remember going around the house trying to find empty bottles to take back to get the 10 cents deposit, get enough of them that I could buy milk for the kids. That was my mentality. That was my mentality. I had to come out of that. You could come out of this. You have been redeemed from the curse. But we haven't seen ourselves that way. And religion has reinforced that idea. Let me give you a verse of scripture that I, I, I double dog dare you to meditate this and hold it in your, in your spirit. The Bible says, as a man 
faketh in his heart, so is he. Come on, get brutally honest with yourself. How do you see yourself inside? Really, how do you? As a man thinketh it, you don't have an outward problem, you got an inward problem. And then religion has fed into it. Some of the most broke, sick, depressed people I know are people that say they're Christians. Something wrong with that, man. All right, let me, let me bottom line this for you. Galatians chapter 3. I said we get through verse 14 and we will. Galatians chapter 3. Sorry for the little rabbit trail there, but I know some of you watching the digital cathedral, you are not free from the curse of the law, sickness, poverty, and death, even though he redeemed you. He, he rescued you from that loss. Then why are you still in it? Because you don't believe you're rescued. As you think in your heart, so are you. Is, this gonna, is it going to change in one week or one month? Probably not. That's where the warfare comes in. You hold it in your heart, you see the picture, and then all the circumstances going on, war against you. Now, are you going to look at the circumstances and give in to them, or do you hold the picture? Does that mean you just sit on the couch and hold the picture? No, he will direct your steps. He'll direct you to what you need to do to alleviate the sickness, the poverty, or the death. All the blessings of Abraham, he says in verse 14, that all the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let me bottom line for you what God promised Abraham. Essentially, bottom line, God promised Abraham that everything he put his hand to, he would be blessed in. He told Abraham, every place the sole of your foot touches that land belongs to you. He promised Abraham that he would be his constant guide and protector. So Paul comes to the Galatian church and he says, look, I want you to know that the blessings of Abraham come on you through Christ, not by the keeping of the law. If you heard nothing I said this morning, I want you to hear this. We don't earn it, but we do merit it. Our co-crucifixion with Christ, our co-resurrection, our ascending to heaven at the right hand of the Father in Him merits us worthy to receive the inheritance. You have an inheritance. Your inheritance is everything that God promised Abraham. Everything. You're not a beggar. You're not a pilgrim. You're not a stranger in a foreign land just to passing through. Abraham's blessing was to be blessed in all nations, which includes you as part of all nations, would be blessed through Abraham. Look, there, there's enough of this blessing for every person in the world. There is no shortage of supply. I, I read something on the internet this week that totally astounded me. There's not a problem with supply. It's in distribution. Listen to this. Here's what I, I found this week. There is wasted in America, just America, every year 133 billion pounds of food. 
Think about that. 133 billion pounds of food are wasted. That's almost a third of the supply. Almost a third of the supply is wasted. There's enough to feed everybody with excess. God, God has blessed our fields, blessed our harvest, blessed what we've put our hands to. We've been the ones that have messed up the distribution of what God has provided. So we look at a scripture like Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Has God done that? Absolutely. What's the problem? The problem is that we have not done a Joseph and we've not distributed, we've not been good stewards over what has been placed in our hand. We've been, we've been blessed in every area of life. That's kingdom living. All right, let me just say in conclusion. In his third chapter, Paul gets so brutally honest. I love it. He says, you foolish Galatians, you thoughtless, without understanding, not reasoning the matter to the end, Galatians. See, they were being drugged out of grace and into law because they didn't reason through this. When you start reasoning through what Jesus has provided for us, there is absolutely no room left for you to embrace any kind of law or standard to earn favor from God. I don't care what you confess, what you believe, what your that has nothing to do with what he's given. So what does Paul do? He reasons the reader through the futility of self-effort. And I hope I've done that effectively this morning. He, he reasons the reader through the futility of performance and law-keeping. He reasons them through the futility of doing what grace has freely bestowed, what Jesus has done. So we need to remind ourselves, because the pull is always back toward performance. I don't care how long you've, you've followed, you need to remind yourself what grace is. It, you are not merited by behavior. Reason it through. And when you reason grace through, it's going to take you to some other areas that have been sacred cows in your belief system, and it's going to tip them over. Grace is just the tip of the iceberg. All right, next week, we'll take verses 15 through 29. We'll finish up the chapter. There's some rich truth there. Mull it over, meditate on it, and we'll meet again next Sunday morning 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, same place, same station. See you Wednesday night. Discern what Paul is saying to you and let freedom ring throughout your life. Amen. God bless. I want to take just a minute and thank all of you for being part of the Digital Cathedral and to just request your help in a couple of areas. There's two or three things that you can help us do to put this message around the world. First of all, if you have enjoyed the message, I'd like for you to go down on the YouTube and make a comment. Make a good affirmative comment because many people go down and read the comments before they watch the video to get an idea if it's favored or not favored. Second thing is you can share it on Facebook. Make sure that you hit us real strong on social media. Third thing is you can, you can do to help us is to become a monthly partner in support of what we're doing to keep this gospel of grace going around the world. This year in 2020, there's several things that I would like to get done, but it requires some finances. I'd like to expand the ministry. I'd like for us to become more effective in our marketing and in our production of what we're doing. So you can help us become a monthly partner, share on Facebook, 
and make good comments on YouTube. Thank you so much for being part of the Digital Cathedral. I bless all of you from around the world and hope that this message today as well as every week is a blessing to you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.